0: The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. LinkedIn News.
1: What connects you to something bigger than yourself? And how often are you remembering to connect with that?
0: Hey, everyone from LinkedIn News, this is In the Arena, a podcast exploring human potential. I'm Leah Smart, and every week you'll find me right here in conversation with bright minds and brave hearts, learning how we can improve our lives and our world by transforming ourselves. Okay, so I am super excited for today's show. First, I want to tell you that if you're even the least bit curious about alternative paths to growth, this one is for you. Now, before you walk into this episode about how to use astrology for your development, I'm going to call out the obvious, which is that astrology seems like one of those things people fully endorse or kind of shove off and say it doesn't have much meaning. And I am certainly not here to change your mind about that. What I am here to do, though, is share what I've come to understand about astrology have our amazing guest talk about its historical purpose and the information it can give us about our own growth curriculum, if you will. This is not going to be one of those Cosmo Girl horoscope conversations like the magazines we all grew up reading or like the countless memes about Mercury in retrograde. It is so much more. And what we're going to be talking about today is called a birth chart, which is basically a map of where the planets were in the sky at the moment and location of your birth. And so astrologers use birth charts to find out more about who an individual is, how they relate to the world, and who they could become if they make conscious choices towards their own growth. And today, Dr. Jennifer Freed is joining me to talk about how she uses birth charts as a core tool in her practice as a psychological astrologer to help people essentially make the optimal contribution that they can in the world— She's been studying both psychology and astrology for over 35 years. And she has a new book called A Map to Your Soul, which is all about how we can all get something out of this ancient meaning making system.
1: I think that when we understand that we've all been sitting around as ancestors looking up the sky for thousands of years to find meaning. It doesn't seem that mysterious that we actually study generation through generation the movement of the planets to understand our place in the world of things. And this is what really keeps me excited and motivated is that we all have a part to play. And just like the planets continue to move, we each are moving through our journey with purpose and choice.
0: Now, if you've listened to this show for a while, you know that I often ask guests what the intention is behind their work. And for me, it's often a really revealing question where the guest shows me who they are and what our conversation is probably going to be like. And Jennifer's answer really blew me away.
1: My intention throughout my whole life is to inspire people for full self-expression. I believe that if every person developed their gifts and shared them, We could solve every single problem on the planet.
0: I'm snapping. I'm snapping. So good, right? So whether you've memorized your birth chart or you think this whole astrology thing is a little bit fringy for you, just approach our conversation with an open mind. I think you're really going to get something valuable out of it. One note before we start, in the first half of the conversation, Dr. Freed read my birth chart. I decided to be a little bit vulnerable, but throughout the conversation and certainly in the second half, we get deep into how anybody and everybody can use their own astrology to chart a path forward. So don't worry, it's not all about me. All right, friends, without further ado, here's Dr. Jennifer Freed. So you said this in your book, that astrology is often misused to prescribe solutions, attribute stereotypes, and make excuses for human behavior. Psychological astrology does none of these things. It is an evocative and inspiring inquiry into all of your divine possibilities that honors the choice and responsibility you have over your life. I just loved that. Can you talk a little bit about psychological astrology?
1: Yes, well I have 40 years training as a psychotherapist and I'm a PhD in psychology and that same amount of time as an astrologer and luckily for me they came together once the world woke up and thought astrology had some value. And how sessions are organized includes both the data of the chart which I call your map of your soul, like what are your possibilities? And then a conversation about the condition of your soul and how you can upscale and grow and undo negative patterns and turn problems into possibilities. Hmm. So I'm not prescriptive. I am practical. I'll give people homework assignments. But we have free will and we have free choice. And I say to every person when I do a reading, you're the expert on you. Don't let anyone tell you who you are. You know best. If what I say is helpful, keep
0: it. If what I say is misattuned, throw it out. Hmm. So astrology from the past and astrology today, can you talk a little bit about just the history of astrology so that we can sort of make sense of it? And and I'll add, so that we can take kind of the woo-woo out of astrology and really understand why this is valuable for us today.
1: Okay. Well, you have to dream back to when we were all ancestors in places where we were completely determined by the condition of the environment, the weather, etc. We were tribal. And people looked to the heavens to make meaning. The gods and the goddesses were in the skies. They named the planets after Greek and Roman gods and goddesses. People spent generations on caves marking the movements of the planets, They noticed historically that when certain planets were in certain positions, events tended to happen. Like when Mars was in this part of the sky, wars broke out, fights broke out. When Venus was next to the sun, people fell in love. So it was very empirical. It's been in every single culture in the world. And as would have it, when people came into power and royalty, they started saying, well, if we can make a... Chart of the heavens for any given moment, why not for the moment of my birth? And so people in power started commanding astrologers to make maps of their birth chart. And it turned out there was a lot of correspondence between the map of that chart and what life events actually happened. Hmm. And then during the dark ages, even though in most churches, everywhere you go that are ancient churches, you see astrological iconography in every church. During the Dark Ages, the priests decided that no one should go directly to the heavens. They should be mediated through priests, so they made astrology bad, wrong, and part of the occult. But finally, we came out of the Dark Ages, and then people were fascinated again openly with the meaning of the planets and movements in the astrology charts. And then we started in the late 1800s, early 1900s, getting back into personal readings. And up until today, now it's just one of the most popular meaning-making systems on the planet.
0: So, first of all, wow. The way that you describe it chronologically makes so much sense. And I love to understand religions uh, From a perspective of believing that there are so many ways for us to find and identify with our spirituality, and it doesn't just have to do with where we were born, it can have to do with what we're drawn to, and so I've always been curious, and I've allowed myself to follow curiosities I think a lot of us do not allow ourselves to follow for a multitude of reasons. So um, the curiosity for me around astrology is is really connected back to what you shared, again, about being the optimal version of ourselves and playing the role or the part we have to play, but also combined with what I love that you say, which is we all have free will, right? And so there's essentially what it sounds like you're saying is a, a, an astrological chart is sort of like here's the path to your growth. You can choose to take that path. You don't have to, but here's how you can become the optimal version of yourself. Would you say that's what it's doing. Yes. It's like a curriculum.
1: You're in the school of life. Mm -hmm. Here are your courses. You can be an A plus student or you can fail out. We have free will. So one of the true callings in astrology is play your highest best self. I love the title of your show in the arena, because when you're in the arena playing full out Mm -hmm. your greatest possibilities, You're not only delivering yourself satisfaction you're adding so much to the world.
0: Okay, so I am super excited to hear about my chart. And also, I'm just hoping that listeners will be able to piece some meaningful things together, even though this isn't their specific chart. But I want to know first, sort of, you know, since you've read so many charts in your career, is it actually true that every chart is so different and everyone has a unique role to play? It's like in a
1: symphony you miss one player even the one just tuning the instruments nothing works we are a symphony of humankind and everybody has a part to play no one's part is less significant i cannot stand it that we have preference celebrity and fame as the mark of success for me the mark of success is truly giving your gifts and your gifts are good enough. Mm-hmm. And the chart shows you what those potentials are. So I just want to say before we go on, you're going to hear some pounding as we proceed in this show, because Mercury's in retrograde as we speak. So even though I did my very best to be quiet and get everything right, the workman showed up and he's got a pound on the deck <laughs> right next to me.
0: There you have it. And that was one of our listener questions is how do we prepare for Mercury in retrograde? So well, I can say real quick and then get back to your chart. The only
1: preparation for mercury in retrograde in an attitude is be amused, be very amused. Like I can either get so frustrated about this right now or we can all laugh about it and people will relate. You're getting ready for your big moment and somebody throws a hammer into
0: it. <laughs> I love that. Okay, we'll come back okay, to so that. So
1: what really <coughs> strikes me about your chart is that you have your son in Capricorn, which is very dutiful and very hardworking and industrious, but it's in the 12th house of spirituality. So anything in the 12th house gives it this highly sensitized, psychic, prophetic, creative vibe to it. And it's so the Capricorn becomes in service of spirit. Your moon is in the 12th house. Your moon is in Aquarius. Your non-negotiable need in Aquarius is to serve humanity. And it's again in the house of spirit and undivided consciousness. So with the sun, moon in the 12th house, you're here as the bride of spirit. You're here as a channel of the awakening energy for humanity. That is your primary assignment. Does that resonate? A
0: hundred percent, yes.
1: Okay, so let's go to your Mercury and Aquarius. Mercury is the way you think and communicate. And when it is In Aquarius, Mercury is at its highest vibration because as a communicator, you see the whole picture. It's the big picture. It's systemic. It's also how you communicate. So you're able to communicate across all demographics Mm -hmm. because it's also in the 12th house and your moon and your sun. It says that one of your divine assignments is to write, speak and share what you learn from the divine of your knowing. This is essential. Now, you do have an Aquarius rising, which means you're universally palatable. Do you know what that means?
0: I can imagine. Everybody from all over is like, oh, I can relate to this person. Totally. (laughs) And uh, also because I get to look at you right now,
1: you're super beautiful and everyone will find you very pleasing to behold. But even better than that, You have Venus in Pisces in the first house. Venus is how you attract and what you value. Pisces is spirituality. Pisces is oneness. Pisces is the imagination and creativity. But when you have Venus in the first house, it confers upon you the blessings of Aphrodite, which means another added dose of beauty for you Hmm. with humility. And it says that you would be an amazing film star or TV star. And so I would like to declare on this show today (laughs) that Leah is available for casting. And because of this chart, I can convince you that she can play any role, sad, happy, comedic, singing, mark my words, and then you owe me a dinner. You will be in a film or TV show within the next few years. Wow. Okay,
0: any questions so far? Uh, No, I just want to pause and say uh, four years ago was when I started my own spiritual journey. I was going through this very intense, anxious period. And so the last thing I could think to do was pray. And I hadn't prayed in so long. And so I literally dropped to my knees and prayed and was like, I don't know what to do, but I need help. And within, like, the hour, I ended up getting this, like, feeling that I needed to go look at podcasts, which I had never listened to a podcast four years ago. The only one somehow that was saved was Oprah's podcast. And it was that day that the conversation with she and Marianne Williamson had come out, which was a 20-year celebration of a return to love. I ended up listening to it that night, and it changed my life. And so that's how I am sitting here today, is that I discovered that my way to connection to myself and to so many other, to to the work I'm doing, I mean, to everything was through spirituality. So everything you've said is exactly as I've experienced it.
1: Well, it's just going to get more and more apparent that you're one of the spiritual conduits on the planet, which I want to thank you for. The other thing I want to mention so that we all have empathy for you is this is a tough part to play on a planet Filled with suffering because you are a porous channel. So you feel all of it. You have to metabolize it. You have to do enormous self-care and rituals in order to purge and keep fresh. And so I want to commend you because I can tell just energetically you're doing all that, mm-hmm. but underneath you're just constantly shoveling human suffering for yourself and for all of us.
0: That's very true. You mentioned this in the next year. Is there anything in my chart that shows you what's happening in the next 12 months? It doesn't say what will happen. I always love it when people go, what's going to happen? I go, well, <laughs> What are you going to do? You know, Ooh, What are you that's doing? Good.
1: That's good. <laughs> uh, everybody thinks, this, you know, the planets are making them do things. No, no, no.
0: It's a cosmic divine partnership. Where do you see in my chart that I could falter or get in my own way? Well, there's a few places, as we all have.
1: So one thing I want to declare right away is that I don't believe any of us incarnate without a lot of lessons. And so every chart reveals to me pain points. So that's what you want to hear about right now?
0: I'm curious, yeah.
1: Okay. So one big one that you have what's called Chiron in the fourth house. Chiron is the wounded healer. And Chiron is also the place that we have to do a tremendous healing. And according to your chart, and this is where you're the expert, Chiron is in the house of home and family and the deep roots of your home and family. And it would suggest that you have a lot of excavation to do about generational trauma. And out of that excavation, you actually need to take up some work of communication to talk about how to undo generational trauma. So that's one of the ongoing issues. Does that seem right?
0: Uh, I mean, yeah. I think when I got my first reading, uh, it was funny that the woman who did this in 2017, she said something, you just reminded me of of um, family and home. And I had some issues with Members of my family that I had not looked at, I hadn't dealt with. And the first thing my Kabbalah teacher said to me when we were talking about relationships, particularly romantic partnerships, was, "How are you with your family?" And I said, "Ugh." I was like, "I I can't talk about this." (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Are you sure? (laughs) Ah, Do we
1: have to do that? (laughs)
0: <laughs> that right? like wait 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 so i didn't want to do it and and then i started going on this journey of of healing my own nuclear family which i think is still a work in progress as it is for most of us but uh like much further ahead than it's ever been but then um I think part of my experience has been, as a black woman and with generational trauma having to do with how African Americans in this country have entered this country, what we've experienced, I know that's deep in there. And so, you know, it's a, it's been a consistent—I just want to see Woman King, like— last weekend, and I thought it was just incredible, and I went, oh, my God, yes, 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 this is it. But those images of women who are strong, powerful, proud of who they are, beautiful and feminine in ways that haven't been socialized where we live in the U.S. uh, are the images that I have had to literally, like, burn into my own brain over time (laughs) and continually do. And I think that's just one piece of generational trauma for Black Americans, but um, yes, that resonates completely.
1: And then there's another really big one, which is called Pluto square Mercury. So Pluto is the underworld and it's laser focused. And when you have Pluto square Mercury in the natal chart, it means that you're one of the deepest, most probing intellects there can be. You go way to the bottom of things, which gives you extraordinary curiosity, insatiable interest, but Pluto square Mercury can also feel at times that you're hijacked by intense obsessive thinking. And so that's also something you'll keep working on is how to calm the mind and know how to move the energy down from the brain into the gut and belly and movement is very good for that.
0: Yes, (laughs) that was a So when I first uh, started realizing how to name my anxiety, it, it was it was so freeing because I didn't know what it was that I was experiencing. And there's also so much shame that comes with experiencing anxiety or, or many other mental health challenges that many of us experience. But... Um, the scariest part of it was exactly what you're talking about is being hijacked by the anxiety of the brain and, and trying to figure out, like, am I taking things on from other people? I know that I am. Um, I've said to people, I'm like, I think I'm actually the 2% of of people who are empaths. Like, I am, I feel like I am truly, like, I have to be so careful. And I'm curious what advice you would give about how much of people's stuff I take on and how I remain a supportive, you know, friend family member without embodying it.
1: Well, let me upgrade your percentage. I have done thousands of charts. I would put you in the top 99.9% empaths. So you're way more than you say. (laughs) The only thing I can tell you about empaths, I'm one as well, but not nearly as sensitive as you, is that you have to do a lot of time alone. I mean, one of the things that really is necessary when you carry this much empathy for your the world is you have to spend time in your own rituals and you have to start making boundaries around yourself when you go out and you're with people, imagining a white belt of light around you, holding your gut And just remember that the belt of your own sovereignty, you can keep your energy inside yourself and still love people. A huge one for your chart and mine is shower and bathe as much as you can without it being obsessive. But if you end up taking two showers a day just for five minutes, water is going to really help because it's a natural cleansing. I get to swim in the ocean here every day in Santa Barbara.
0: Yay, you. Me. I can't swim in the Hudson River.
1: <laughs> no, but,
0: but I, if I'm
1: on a trip or something, I just literally go in the shower and I imagine all that water just taking everything with it and sending it to the divine. So as an empath, you really need to know that it doesn't serve anyone for you to go in their lane ever, stay in your lane. We have gotten this weird message that if I merge with you and feel what you're feeling, I'm going to be helpful when actually we just start drowning. There's Mm -hmm. a term called objective empathy, which is I get what you're going through and I'm going to be here for you, but I don't need to step into it because then we'll both be taken by the river. That's right.
0: I guess the, the funny thing is, and this points to everyone having their own unique chart and their own unique experience, et cetera, is like I assumed everybody was just like me until I realized they weren't and they didn't have maybe the same level of empathy or, you know, draw to spirituality, these things that felt to me like, oh, yeah, all of us are like this once we uncover who we are, but that's not true, Right. Not at all, and
1: I think that was the biggest help for me becoming an astrologer, is I think we all young have what's called a primary narcissism where I think, well, you're really just like me, you just don't know it yet. <laughs> yeah, And then when I started studying astrology, I really saw that no, actually, everyone gets to be themselves, and some people interpret reality vastly different than I do, and it's fine. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I just want everyone to be kind. Like, I I don't actually care if you care about astrology or spirituality. The religion of kindness would do the world so much good.
0: We're going to take a quick break. I just can't get over that image of people thousands of years ago looking up into the sky trying to make meaning. It kind of cuts to the core and makes me feel like we're all part of something a lot larger. When we get back, I ask Jennifer how you can think about your own chart and what she means when she talks about our soul and about spirituality. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing. New currencies come and go. Decades of savings lost in days. All showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise. A promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. A promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off.
1: If you're interested in the story behind the business headlines, check out Big Technology Podcast, my weekly show that features in-depth interviews with CEOs, researchers, and reformers in business and technology. Hi, I'm Alex Kantrowitz. I'm a longtime journalist, CNBC contributor, and the host of the show. I empty my Rolodex every Wednesday to bring you awesome episodes. So go check out Big Technology Podcast. It's available on all podcast apps. We'd love to have you as listener.
0: And we're back with Dr. Jennifer Freed. So in the first half of the show, we spent a lot of time talking about my chart. I hope that helped you feel a little closer to me. And I hope you're also curious about your own chart. So I asked Jennifer for some advice on how to think about your own map of the soul. I mean, so if someone is listening right now and this isn't their chart, but we could find the best way to be supportive of them thinking about how they could approach the world or even think about why a chart could be valuable for them. Are there questions that you believe are really valuable for someone to ask?
1: Yes. Well, one of the most important questions is, what are my gifts? We all have many. And who is supporting me and holding me accountable to deliver them? Hmm. We all need a sacred crew. None of us can deliver alone. If you don't have those people in your life that are rooting for you and also telling you the truth, you must find them. Hmm. You must start assiduously looking for who's with me and make sure they're healthy because I can promise you all energy is contagious. All emotions are contagious. So if you're with people that bring you down, find new connections. You can do it through groups, through religious places, through 12 step programs. We all can find places that uplift our spirit and call us to the task of becoming who we need to be. Mm -hmm. We're all in process. Mm -hmm. Me
0: too. What you said is really resonant for me, especially in the last 12 months, because um, I have had sort of a turnover in the local community that I've had, uh, and that everybody left during COVID. A lot of people left New York. Um, I had some friendships that ended, relationships that ended. And I decided, you know, when I moved back here after being gone last year, again, I'm going to build a community. And for a while, it it was tough. I didn't see the road ahead. Um, and now I will say I've started hosting a monthly Shabbat dinner, which is, you know, I don't care if anybody who comes is, is Jewish or not. And I haven't converted to Judaism, but it's something I've been studying for long enough that it felt like a really powerful way. And it's been a really sacred way for me to feel connected to myself and, and to others. And so we have now this, this group of women who are about six of us that interchange every month that come to this dinner. And every single time it feels soul replenishing. It's women who are incredibly intelligent, who are interesting, who love their lives, who are trying to understand more about life, and who are, uh, I think to your point, really honest with each other and real with each other, while also being super compassionate. So I have I have created this, and I did not think it was possible. I didn't know how it would be possible 12 months ago. So for anyone listening who's like, yes, I actually am surrounded by people who are not in support of who I'm becoming, it's totally possible to build. It's just making the decision and finding a connecting point. So you used a couple of terms today that I think are are meaningful to just, I want to hear your thoughts or definition on them. And the two are uh, soul and the divine. How do you define those for yourself?
1: The divine of my knowing is anything that connects me to something bigger than my little small ego needs and wants, like a sense of I'm part of something bigger. That's the divine of our knowing. For some people, it's nature. For some people, it's food. For some people, it's pets. For some people, it's God. But it's that sense. I am part of this miraculous, creative force, whatever it is, and I can connect to it. That's the divine of my knowing.
0: How do you define the soul?
1: Well, I think that's a great question. I don't really define it, but I have an idea
0: about spirit
1: and soul. So let me tell you that. Spirit for me is that experience of just being uplifted and going toward the light and the spirit of things and being spirited, where I think of the soul is the part of the great self that broke up into small pieces and wanted to experience every little molecule of life. And my favorite part of soul is it really doesn't have any preferences. Soul just wants to experience. So, oh, I have an ulcer. Well, that's an experience. Oh, I fell in love. That's an experience. Oh, somebody broke my heart. That's an experience. For me, soul is just wanting to experience every morsel of living.
0: So what's the deal with our heads? Like, I mean, if, if, if we could just operate out of our souls, it sounds like it would just be bliss, right? It would be like, oh, great. I'm, I'm okay because I just am here to experience. What's well, I think deal?
1: soul has no morality, in my opinion. It's amoral, no morality. Everything's an experience. Hmm. So I think we need our mind consciousness to direct our compass of morality and ethics. We need to make choices, we need to decide how we're going to use our greatest gifts to create heaven on earth instead of hell on earth for me there's no heaven that is worth achieving unless we do it now
0: mm-hmm. i don't want to wait how do we how do we begin i mean when we think about the bigness of the world and how much is happening and you know we can't each individually Change every single thing that's happening every day on the planet. What do we do as individuals? Or do we stop looking at ourselves as individuals?
1: Well, both. You ask this one question. The question is if you were to die in a year and be known for helping one cause on earth, being a significant contributor to one cause on earth, what would it be? Answer that question. Everyone has an answer the whales, environment, racism, whatever the answer, it's a good answer. Then make sure you spend at least five to 10 minutes a day serving that cause, and you will never regret it. Mm. And if every single human on earth spent five to 10 minutes of a whole day serving that cause, the tide would change quickly, rapidly, and significantly. Mm.
0: Five to 10 minutes sounds edible.
1: Yeah, I think everybody forgets that everything we do adds in or takes away. Five to 10 minutes worldwide consciousness saying, I serve a greater
0: cause changes the entire trajectory of this planet. Hmm. So, I have a couple questions I'd love to pull from some of our listeners um, for you, because I know a lot of people have questions about astrology. And I think you're you're a great person to answer these because you've been studying it for so long and because you've combined it with psychology. So there's just there's so much power and information that you have. Um, the first person asked, I know we talked about this a little bit, but do you have tips for prioritizing work during Mercury retrograde? Or is there anything specific that we should be thinking about? What's What's happening during this time?
1: Well, but Mercury retrograde happens a few times a year. Mm -hmm. For me, it's a great time. Mercury retrograde is one, enhance humor. That's always good. But two, review everything three times. The rule of three is that if you look at what you're about to say or you're about to send or even what you've received three times and you're very... Intentional about being as clear and as contributing as you can be, then Mercury retrograde is the best time for communication. It just requires more thoughtfulness and more contemplation.
0: Mm. And then the second question is Is there anything scientific that lends credence to astrology, or is it more a helpful story we tell ourselves to make sense of our lives and our universe?
1: Well, I call it a Mystery art. So I'm not trying to equate it with science. There are many different studies that have proven some things about astrology. But much like the greatest mysteries of life, love and magic, for me, astrology is a gift that has come to me and others that seems reliable and repetitively valuable, that is much more of a art form when people practice it well than a science I'm actually not trying to prove anything I would like this to remain uh aperture to self-awareness and spiritual connection
0: well and so you just said practice which made something click for me a little bit you know even when I've gotten my birth chart read before um And now today, feeling a little bit different and, you know, having grown in the ways that I have, uh, I have become more aware of how important it is to practice small things over and over again. And I never really thought about my chart as a practice or my experience of my own birth chart and who I am on this planet as a continual practice. And so you just helped me connect the dots that, like, all of this is information that isn't, like, you know, I could look at it as doomful or I could say – wait, I just have to practice differently in order to create balance? Yes, your
1: chart is a practice. So for example, I'll use myself as an example. I've been studying my chart for 40 something years. You'd think, wow, I've achieved it by now. But it's all about upscaling and evolving each part of your psyche and your chart to the best possible version it can be. It's always in you. But you've got a lot of choices about how to use it. Hmm. So, for example, I have a Taurus moon, which natally, when you're first born, a Taurus moon is very steady. I am very practical. I am. But it's also very indulgent, very uh, grabby, greedy and some other things. And so I've worked my whole life to move more toward flexibility and generosity than being stuck. Hmm. And that's a practice.
0: All right. So, Dr. Fried, I'm going to ask you to complete these three statements. Better humans are.
1: Kind
0: and healthy. Love that. Better work is. Feeling joy and gratitude in each moment of that work. And a better world has.
1: Everyone playing their part in the arena fully expressing themselves and their gifts and celebrating all the different ways that occurs.
0: That was Dr. Jennifer Freed, psychological astrologer and author of A Map to Your Soul. One big thing before we go, and I said it already earlier, but it's worth repeating. The best experiences for growth and broadening my perspectives have happened for me because I followed my own curiosity, even when it didn't make sense, especially when it didn't seem to make sense. It's allowed me to learn more about the world than I ever could have imagined. So I encourage you today, whether it's astrology or an entirely different topic, to follow one of your curiosities. Trace one breadcrumb and see where it leads. If you're thinking maybe this birth chart thing could be interesting, or you've already explored it, share this episode with someone you think could be inspired by it. And help other people like you find our show by leaving us a rating before you go. Even better, Write a one-sentence review telling me what cause you're going to spend five minutes working towards every day. I'm cheering you on. And as always, you can find me on LinkedIn, writing about human potential and meaningful living. In the Arena is a production of LinkedIn News. The show is produced by Michelle O'Brien. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Ariando is head of original audio and video. Dave Pond is head of news production. Dan Roth is the editor-in-chief of LinkedIn. And I'm Leah Smart. Thanks for coming on the journey with me and I'll see you next week.